Richard, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Uh, I've been doing some research into high potential startups in Asia. My pet go came onto my radar. I'm really interested in talking to you, especially because I'm a keen uh, pet owner and in my family, we've had dogs since as far back as I can remember. Uh, so when I saw my pet go, I wanted to reach out to you because I think what you're doing is very interesting. There's obviously a real need there. And I wanted to hear the story from you directly. So first of all, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. So every great startup story always begins with a great founder. And I'd like to talk to founders about their story before they started their current venture. So can we talk a little bit about uh, you and your background? Can you give us a some background on yourself and what you were doing before my pet go. Sure. So I guess um, born with entrepreneurial blood. So both my parents had their own business. So kind of, you know, had that um, ingrained at an early age that if you, you, you know, that there are different routes in life, but one that's quite difficult yet exciting if it goes well is uh, be your own boss and, 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 you know, create your own thing and, and um, it gives you freedom and it, it, you know, it can also give you some, some, uh, some money if done right. And, and with that, you know, it gives you more freedom. So, so I guess, you know, the background was um, seeing my father and mother building their businesses. My father was in the, in the boat trade and the yacht trade and sort of everything from uh, building his own boats in Sarasota and Florida to, to uh, representing some of the largest American boat manufacturers and French boat manufacturers in Northern Europe. Uh, my mother has been in the travel space. So, you know, helped them out as a young boy with um, all, all sorts of, 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 of things that they needed, but, you know, also sort of picked up the learnings um, throughout that. So I'll fast forward because a lot of stuff happened in between. I guess what I did just immediately before my pet go was that I worked for a German tech and media conglomerate called Hubert Berda Media. They had acquired my business in 2017, which was called Lifestyle Asia, a business we started out in Hong Kong in 2005, uh, where we wanted to fill the void in digital publishing around luxury and lifestyle. Nobody did that at that time. And, um, you know, we created this sort of community, this magazine, this city guide, this, this event guide, and it was a go-to place for people that lived in Hong Kong that was expanded to Singapore in 08. Then I moved to Singapore with the expansion, set it up here. We were targeting yuppies, early adopters, which today we call millennials with high disposable income and an interest in, in certainly luxury and lifestyle topics. Um, we then took that to Bangkok and Thailand and launched the Thai edition and then to Kuala Lumpur and Malaysia. Then that was sold in 17 to Berda. I then be became sort of the, you know, the digital transformation director of the static business that they had in addition to expanding Lifestyle Asia to India, set up the Delhi and Mumbai business, which was exciting, you know, um, interesting country for sure. And then we set up a Paris office where the idea was to kind of, you know, get the Asian audience that we had across the platforms to travel to Paris and spend their money on luxury goods and, and hotel stays and, and, you know, gourmet food and so on and so forth. Um, a couple of years into that, I kind of felt that uh, it was very hard to compete with the fangs 
the, the, the sort of big platform players, the Google, the Facebook, the obviously Meta today, um, uh, TikTok was, you know, coming up and, and a bunch of the large platforms that didn't produce any content, but they had the audience that would give their content away for free. And certainly they had all the users and they could leverage the shit out of data. So, so it was hard for us, even though we were sort of in digital publishing and very innovative and, and we're always sort of a frontier on new and, 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 and cool, um, ad solutions. It was hard to compete with them. It was clear to me that we don't have the data. We just can't compete. So I said to myself, whatever I do next, I need to be able to possess the data in a non-evil way, but in a way where it benefits the consumer. Um, obviously in this uh, instance, also the pet itself, but the pet owner, the pet caretaker and the pet um, itself. And and uh, uh, I wanted not necessarily to go into hardware, but the hardware is the enabler of extracting data. So we're not a hardware company per se, we're a data company, if anybody wonders. Um, and, and I guess that takes me to the present, which is, is, is my pet coat, which is a health and wellness monitor for dogs and cats, uh, primarily dogs at this point of time. Lovely. Is that to say then that you created my pet go out of a desire to create a business that was um hardware driven but at its core a data business and then you fit a business into that paradigm or was it that you had a problem that you then solved well i guess a little bit of everything right so um this is this is my dog caesar who tends to be with me all the time uh, so he's wearing Guess a appearance. Uh, he's a tiny little multi, so the monitor looks pretty large on him. Go back, buddy. Uh, so he's part of the inspiration, right? So I was trying to desperately find a, a, a sort of health wellness, I suppose, location monitor, um, that could operate in Singapore where I live and I couldn't find anything. Right. Um, so the American boys, they tend to only operate and work within the U S market. You might be able to buy one on Amazon. And they'll ship it to you, but when you download the application, uh, you're out of geo, so so you're not in the right territory, and therefore it didn't work right. So I could never connect to whatever I needed to connect to. So that kind of gave me. I mean, I guess that planted a seed where I said, "Why is this the case? I'm seeing this massive pet adoption rate uh, spreading across Asia Pacific, and nobody is, is is doing anything about it." In many ways, it's very similar to me when I was in digital publishing when I. You know, when I started that in, in, in 05 in Hong Kong, it was South China Morning Post with a really bad online version. It was MSN and Yahoo with something super Cantonese with things blinking. And, and you know, if you were like me, you you don't understand Cantonese, uh, it didn't do much for you. And so, and so we're kind of targeting the same audience, right, that we did back then. Yappies early adopters, of course, now millennials, so 25 to 45. And... And it's a rinse and repeat in the sense that um, we're trying to fill a void in the market. Nobody is addressing this particular thing and, and this niche and this sector. And we want to help to kind of, you know, transform the whole adoption rate of pet technology in this part of the world where we have the fastest pet adoption rate, but it's just highly underserved. So, so I guess I discovered that. Uh, so it was, in a way... I had a need myself 
in a way, I saw that and spoke to other pet owners and I realized the need is broader than myself because I, I think ultimately as an entrepreneur, you don't build anything for yourself. That's a really bad idea, hoping that others have the same problem. Um, and and then I, I sort of, you know, I thought to myself, I know Asia, I've built businesses across all countries, more or less, or, or managed businesses. And, and so, um, yeah, I guess opportunity, the need, the desire, um, it was always meant to be a data play. The hardware was never there from the first instance. It was first a televet with a marketplace with, it was more software and then it was like, how do we actually get a lot of the health data? Because we think the evolution of wearables, be it these guys that are for humans or the Aura Ring or the Whoop Strap, we think that the big evolution is not giving data for the sake of data, but explaining what the data means in a layman way, then um, telling people what they can do with that data, right? So if you discover a health problem per se, you say, look, your, your HRV is elevated and it could be one of these different reasons and then you give them some clear cta buttons with what they can do that can then link and bridge out to a product or a service provider that can help with the problem that we've discovered so we think that that second dimension and third dimension that is really the evolution of what we're doing and people can buy all sorts of things to track the whereabouts of their pets but i think the health is what's going to be crucial moving forward so yeah I, I know I didn't entirely answer the question. I think I, I, I sort of, you know, it was... Don't, don't yeah. worry. It was great. We can dive into more details as we go. You were mentioning that the the Southeast Asian market is the fastest growing market for pet adoption. Is that right? Asia Pacific is the fastest pet adoption, uh, has the fastest pet adoption rate. Like if you look at Taiwan and South Korea, certainly not North because no one gets numbers on that. Um and Japan, you you would see that the adoption rate of pets is greater than the the uh, repopulation of humans, right? Wow. And so and so we see that in Singapore too. We see that in 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 Sweden. We see that in 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 a lot of countries. And you know, I think I think the reality is that a lot of millennials choose to have pets over kids. They don't want to do what their parents did. They don't want to go and get a corporate gig and then go and buy an expensive home and be sort of, um, I guess, attached to that home in that country, you know, and 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 they, they want to travel. They want to be free. Now, of course, it's not easy to travel with a pet all the time um, unless you live in Europe where it's really easy. Um, but I think, uh, you know, the millennials are different from the baby boomers and they don't want the same thing as, essentially. And and maybe kids, it's, it's not what they want, but they treat their pets as fur babies. And, um, and, and, you know, I know this, so I don't want anyone who is a millennial to say, what is that dude talking about? Because I was one of them before I had my human baby, you know? So, so, so Caesar was my, still is my fur baby. And, of course. and, you know, um, so, so I can totally relate to that, right? And, and you know, I feed him the best stuff. I never had him on anything that comes out of the bag. It's been, you know, all handmade, done by us from day one. He's nine years old, no issues of any kind. And, and you know, he gets the royal treatment like all dogs and cats should. Before the likes of My Pet Go, 
Um, what were some of the challenges that dog, cat, other pet owners had that you are now solving for them? Well, I guess if we talk from a health and wellness perspective, um, we're taking a lot of the guesswork out of it, right? So it's like our, our, our sort of tagline is we give your pet a voice. And, and the idea with that is that by extracting the data, we can explain to you as the caretaker, how is your pet actually feeling physically and emotionally? And, you know, pets are experts at hiding their emotions. And so it's hard sometimes to tell whether everything is 100% or 90% or 80%, right? And then, we'll, you know, then you start guessing what is it that's wrong? Okay, there are certain indicators, right? The tail goes in between the legs and, you know, there might be a sound that they, um, that they make or you can see blood in the stool or there is a vomit. I mean, there, there are clearly indicators, right? But I think still... Uh, our main job is to take away the guesswork and sort of say, look, we've seen this spike because we can't give you exact values, right? I, I can never claim that I can give you exact heart rate variability or pulse rate variability or respiration rate or, um, you know, certain other values, right? We, we use algorithms to determine this and we can be quite precise. But what we really look at is the rate of change, right? That we can actually uh, be very accurate. And so when we see a big rate of change, say in HRV, heart rate variability, uh, that could be an indicator of, of, you know, a stress, you know, a, a sort of anxiety or stress. And that could be, for instance, if you got a pet during the pandemic and you've always been around, pet is really close to you, you're obviously close to the pet, but you've got to go back to a, a, a physical kind of, um, you know, job location, right? Or, or, or sort of uh, office. And therefore, you know, you're leaving your pet behind. So there, there, there is a lot of things that um, we can help with in terms of, of, of the guessing. Now, that's a simple one. But I think if, if something acute happens, we can sort of give you that, that fighting chance to try to be reactive. And we give you those options of, you know, look, this value is abnormal. We recommended you talk to a professional. Uh, by the way, these could be the different things that have happened. You can then quickly share this data through a dynamic link with your trusted vet. Or if you don't have a vet of choice, there is a televet where we have televets on standby 24 hours that can, uh, that's, that's, that's not my televets, but it's partners that we plug into our marketplace. So the MyPetGo ecosystem is you know, giving you data well explained, uh, giving you push notifications with next step recommendations with those CTA buttons and where you can triage the data with what could potentially have happened or occurred during the day, and then giving you those bridging that connection to the marketplace side where we have products or service providers that can help with the pickle we've discovered. Um, and so I think, I think it's a you know, we help to give pet owners peace of mind, staying on top of health values. If something goes, you know, bad in terms of a health value, we give you a early indication where you can act on it and be reactive and be ultimately a more responsible pet owner. Richard, looking at the My Pet Go site and the application, there's the um, very important piece of the health component that you're talking about. There's also then some additional features like um, tracking of the pet, 
uh, a, a, a invisible leash, a, a virtual leash, I think is how you describe it on the site as well. Um, and there's also diary functions as well. Can you talk to us a little bit about those features and functionality as well? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm laughing because we, we did a product pivot. We had a board meeting on Friday. Okay. And we, we, we're done a product pivot. And the product pivot is we're not going to do any location anymore. We're going to focus entirely on the health and wellness side. So, okay. So, um, and the reason for that is I think, um, so I'm breaking it here on your podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I'm breaking the news. Folks, uh, we are no more a health and location monitor. We're a health and wellness monitor. And I think, I think there is a few reasons for this, um, so I'm going to answer your question with, we're not doing that anymore. So, so, so that's the easy answer. The reason to that is it's very complicated. Um, I think to, to get that right. Um, and you know, we use AGNSS, which is straddling the eight different satellites. And at times in certain countries, it's very hard to, to, to acquire signal. And so we decided that. If we can't get this 110% right, we should hide it and remove it until we're happy with it one day and we might release it again. And that's why we're focusing on what we can control. And we can't entirely control the, the tracking side because it's based on the, the satellite provider and then it, it goes down to the local telco infrastructure in the country uh, in question. So in Hong Kong, where you're based, it doesn't work at all, right? In China, it doesn't work because it's too new of a technology. So there were a lot of limitations and a lot of third-party dependencies, as my CTO would say. Um, and we felt that let's con let's work on what we can control because we use onboard sensors on the monitor and the algorithms are proprietary tech that we built ourselves. And all of that just requires Wi-Fi and BLE. So basically BLE hotspotting uh, the caretaker's phone. So um, I think that's that's the pivot, and I think we might bring it back, but I also think that GPS trackers and wearables being just trackers tracking location and activity, they've been around for 50 years. That is not new. Now, the problem that everybody has, and the reason why they're only operating primarily in one market is that they hardly get it right in that one market. Therefore, it's really tricky to expand. And they usually use embedded SIM cards on production level. I mean, our innovation there was uh, a virtual SIM card using AGNSs, which is, you know, 5G and above, CATM, NBIOT. For those who wonder what the hell is he rambling about, it's just very new technology that hardly works and nobody knows how to get it to work. So there you go. So that's the pivot, and I think it makes sense. Um, and... Um, yeah, that's all I'm going to say about location tracking. It's, you know, you can buy an Apple AirTag these days for that. That's really what you want. So so we think the real evolution, the real revolution that we'll see here in this space is going to be on the health side and, you know, giving people the, you know, accurate values around health and, and so that they can fix certain things um, as, 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 as soon as they need. Uh, yeah. This is really interesting. Going then into a bit more depth about the actual physical hardware that you've created, how is it that you do get these accurate readings on these different biometrics of the pet that my pet go is is on? Uh -huh. It's a great question. So 
we use a couple a, a couple of sensors. Um, so if we look at heart rate variability, pulse rate variability, and respiration rate, we have a team that's experts in building algorithms and AI essentially. Um, and they are basing the algorithms on a couple of uh, sensor values, right? And then that gets plugged into the algorithm and then that feeds up the uh, simulated sort of uh, heart rate variability, pulse rate variability, or respiration rate. Um, and we can get that very, very close to, to reality, right? But again, we're looking at rate of change, so that's the most important thing for us. Uh, those sensors specifically are a gyroscope, accelerometer, voltmeter, um, GPS. Uh, yeah, we're looking at movement. We're looking at 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 uh, breathing. We're looking at 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 a bunch of different things, and um, and and of course you can do it in different ways. But we feel that this is the best that we can do with Gen One, and this was what we went with. And obviously we have many ideas of what generation two is going to look like and there is a generation two in the works um partly because this is this is quite quite large so the main sensor sits on the back there yep um and and then that kind of feeds into everything um and we look at you know ambient and body temperatures so we look at the surrounding temperature and the body temperature so let's say you forget your your dog in the car it's a warm summer day um, and you go in and you're going to buy whatever ice cream for the kids at home and your mind wanders off and you start grocery shopping and you leave your pet behind closed windows, right? That car is going to get pretty hot pretty soon, right? So there are a lot of use cases for how we can apply sort of ambient and, and body temperature as the ambient temperature rises, the body temperature will rise and you know, you'll, you'll certainly get a push notification, um, about the fact that you need to check on your 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 pet, but like you're in Hong Kong, a lot of people go on hiking. Uh, they bring the dogs along. Um, you might go hiking for a little bit too long with your dog, dragons back or something, and you know um, we're seeing obviously a lot of um, you know we, we we sort of look at HRV and, and respiration and pulse rate, and we see that all of this is totally elevated, right? It will probably tell you to take a break. You know you need to cool down your pet, um, and so. Yeah, so there's tons of ways to use it. But yeah, that's the main sensors that are being uh used for creating the algorithms. I'm 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 obviously the wrong guy to to talk about that. You should my my CTO will be like, dude, you know, you should have me on it if 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 those questions are coming. What does your customer profile look like and for what kind of dog or maybe what age of dog? is typically the, the right sweet spot for, for you guys? Well, look, um, I think it's for any pet owner that loves their pet and they consider their pet a, you know, family member. And as much as they like to have a wearable themselves to check their own health, they would like to understand better how their pet is feeling and doing and, 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 you know, what the health values are. So, so that's the typical parent. And that parent is somewhere between 25 and 45, typically, uh, a bit heavier on the female side, maybe 60, 65%. Um, 
you know, women are just more caring, hence why they're mothers, um, and, and tend to spend more time with, you know, uh, obviously young babies and whatnot. Um, and, and so they got that, uh, I guess in their DNA differently than men, but I mean, we also have men, uh, you know, we, we have quite a lot of people from the gay community, obviously looking at their, their dog as a, as, 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 as their baby and, and, you know, um, and, and, uh, yeah, so it's 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 really a mixed bag, but I think, you know, uh, age wise, you're looking at 25 to 45 uh, people that are quite tech forward, tech savvy. They do a lot of things on their smartphones, uh, be it any other shores, they'll do it there. It makes sense to have, um, I guess, a super app for their pet as well. So I mean, not only do we report on all the health values and, and kind of give you the next step recommendation and sort of bridge up to the marketplace, but Anything that you need to do around your pet shores can be consolidated into this application. So be it you're buying pet food, be it getting a pet insurance, be it talking to a televet or get a mobile vet, be it on-demand service like groomers, walkers, sitters, uh, pet boarding, pet hotel, all of that, right? So that's what we call on-demand. Be it journaling on your pet, storing documents like your insurance documents, previous procedures, uh you know, vet bills, anything like that. So we have almost like a Dropbox feature where you can store in as many documents as you want. And that's a freemium service, by the way. You can download the app and anybody can use the journal. Anybody can use the reminder setter to schedule uh, the next appointment with, you know, for dental scaling or for taking that monthly deworming tablet or for, you know, uh, whatever it may be. So you never miss that next appointment. Uh, so you get sort of the reminder set of the journal, the marketplace, that's free. Um, and the premium is obviously the monitor and that all the health values and the next step recommendation and, and, and so on. So there is a premium component and there is a premium component. It's quite a compelling product with all of those features and, and benefits for users. With respect to acquiring your customers, how do you go about doing that? Yeah, that's a good question. So when we looked at this space, we kind of realized that every other wearable in the pet space tend to be a direct-to-consumer offering. And, and, and what I will say is our own website is not fully built out. It should be fully built out by end of this week or next week. So whoever is listening, it should be kind of up and, and running by then. So there's a lot of sections missing. Um, but that's also because we are... We're focused on selling stock through pet insurance companies, through uh, telemedicine companies, you know, uh, televets, obviously. Um, also, um, we're looking at, uh, you know, pet e-commerce or pet commerce uh, companies, telco companies. So, so that's our main avenue, B to B to C. Uh, we sell in, in volume to these guys. They push it to their large existing base of pet owners that trust their particular brand and they almost endorse our brand. And, you know, we do a win-win deal with these guys. So that's what we have. Um, we have one of the largest pet insurance companies in the U.S. where we've done a deal for U.S. and Canada. Um, we have one in Australia that we're working with for a similar deal. We have one in Singapore, we have one in Japan. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it gives us that opportunity to quickly expand across the globe. 
and I think reaching a big addressable market as, as quickly as we can. What we said was we don't want to be that next D2C brand because I think D2C is not as sexy as it was five years ago. Um, and it's difficult. And I think, you know, it, it's harder to acquire customers. The CAC model is a bit broken. Uh, I think acquiring them and all the algorithms on 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 the social side, which have changed a lot, it's harder to get customers these days. You got to fight a lot more. And we just, frankly speaking, we think the CAC is just way too high. And and so, and so we think that the D to C piece is mainly to build a brand, but that also helps to feed into the B to B to C, where you you, you kind of say, look, we got the sexy sexy brand. We can be a tech enabler. I think for a lot of the the, the, the pet insurance companies, it's very synergistic, right? So they are offering this really maybe necessary but unsexy product. It, it's, it's bloody insurance, right? Uh, like, how do you make that sexy? And then this particular U.S. company, they, they sort of, we got introduced. I was in Boston speaking at the Pet Care Innovation Summit in December, and I got introduced to them, and we started talking. I went to New York. I was sitting at this 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 uh, the, the president of that company's favorite drinking hole. We had a couple of gin tonics, and he sort of said, "Look, Richard, the way we want to differentiate from all the other insurance is we want to kind of gravitate and become a pet wellness company. We don't want to call ourselves insurance because it just comes with this negative connotation." And I said, "Cool. Well, I can be your tech enabler." And he showed me an app, and he had spent millions of dollars building this app and you know it looked okay but it wasn't fantastic right so i mean that's the big core kind of you know what happens and then i showed our app and i said we spent you know three and a half million dollars building this plus a wearable plus all the other stuff plus all the algorithms everything and he said oh my god can can we partner and i said yeah let's partner so so i so i think you know that holds very true for pet insurance across the globe and by the way there is a there is a ongoing war, whether you're in Sweden or in, 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 in the UK or anywhere else, where all of these pet insurance companies are realizing that the market is highly underserved and there is big opportunity to, 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 to get a lot of, um, uh, you know, to retain, but also get fresh blood through the door. And so, and so we think that we are the ultimate renewal incentive so, you know, we give, like, we want to be the Apple of pet technology, right? So everything comes in a nice box. You get the setup guide. You get your your, your, your sort of USB-C cable. You get a custom color that comes with it. We got five different sizes. And, and so usually what we do with the pet insurance is we do a renewal drive. So they renew whatever. Like the U.S. company renews 10,000 insurance plans daily. So to retain these guys and make sure that they don't shop around and go to the competitors, they say, look, you renew with us. We're going to give you this new, sexy, amazing product called MyPetGo, right? And you're going to get that free of charge. All you need to do is to sign on the dotted line and stay on with us, right? And so I think that's one of the ways. The other way is that they want to get fresh blood through the door and the way that they can differentiate it to say, look, you buy this insurance with us. You also get this incredible health and wellness monitor, which, by the way, creates this, this really compelling holistic pet care um product that that people can really benefit from right and so you know uh, that that's very specific for a pet insurance company but um you know if i talk to a tele vet company 
what's their upside to to kind of sell this for us? Well, obviously, uh, in most cases, we're going when it's a health issue, we're going to say go to your trusted vet. Or by the way, we have a televet partner here plugged in, right? You want to get peace of mind. So the lead gen we're giving back to these guys is obviously very important as well. So we plug them into our marketplace side. So it's kind of lead gen two ways. And I think our model is quite unique in in how we're thinking about not just um, being different from a product offering, but also how we're thinking about sales and distribution and, 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 and sort of how we think that uh, we can conquer the world without outcacking ourselves. You were mentioning about um, version 2.0. If uh, would you be able to talk to us a little bit about that? Uh, what future customers of my pet go can look forward to coming down the line? Yeah, I can. So um, we have hired someone uh, quite special uh, that I think is going to help us with this. I, c- I can't, you know, mention any names. Not not hired, but we've onboarded a a particular consultant that. I think is going to be very helpful in 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 uh, our taking Gen two to fruition. And what we've said is either we build a one point five, which is a modified version of Gen one, where we kind of build on top of it, or we go straight to a two, which might be a complete rebuild from scratch. And so, what one can expect from from either of those two is an evolution of what we're offering. So I think there's going to be additional functions and features, which by the way, it's going to be, uh, we're going to sort of uh, drip feed these for Gen 1 as well. There are a lot of stuff coming down the road. Um, but I think for Gen 2, it's going to be um, new components that are going to enable more accurate readings like a a laser diode that shoots in and picks up certain values um, without harming the pet, I shall say. Uh, So so, so there are some really cool things uh, in terms of the sensor side that you can pick up um, and and, and apply today, but they are very expensive. So they will then dictate the price of of the product. Like I have uh, people in the space that are charging $1,000 for a wearable, right? Uh, And I charge $159. USD, uh, depending on if it's not a promo out there, then it might be, you know, something less. Um, so, so ours is pretty affordable. And and when you charge that, you cannot ask for too much, right? Um, in, 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 in terms of like, we can't have the sexiest of sensors out there, uh, simply. So, um, but I think health values will be more accurate. I think there will be uh, more functions and features. Maybe we're bringing back location tracking. Who knows? Maybe, but then it needs to be dynamite. It needs to be so good, so much better than anybody else. Because frankly speaking, everybody who is in that space, they have a fair share of issues on their own. And we've bought all of them. We've tested all of them. So kudos to them for sticking uh, around, trying to do what they're doing. I know it's very difficult. Um it's not hard to do right in one country. It's hard to do right with one model that you carry to more countries and you expand it. That's the difficulty, right? Because you can always calibrate for one country uh, and get that right, like a small place like Singapore. Um, we we get it to work pretty good here, right? Uh, and it's about getting that first node and pin to drop. But, um, you know, we're, we're a global proposition, supposedly, right? So, yeah. 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, what else? I don't know. That's, that's, there will be some magical stuff coming for Gen 2. Very exciting. You've talked about the roadmap. You've talked about version 1.5 or 1.2 or pardon me, 2. Um, and you've talked about, you know, you've built a lot or spent a lot on the build out of both your hardware and your software. There's a lot of money involved in building anything of value. Are you looking to raise further investment? I know you've raised before in the past. Are you looking to finance this through further uh, capital injection? Well, uh, Nick, we're always racing, right? I think I think um, the pet sector is a very hot sector, but I think if you're looking at investors in Asia, they simply don't get the sector at all. Partly because I think there is very little deal flow. I don't think they get exposed to it. Uh, most of them might not own a pet, so they have no actual relationship to pets per se. Um, and I also think that, you know, we don't see a ton of innovation coming out of Asia, unfortunately, and therefore innovative companies and products are not always what people want to invest in. They tend to like to invest in synthetic stuff that have been done in Europe or US before and uh, be it, you know, Grab instead of Uber, right? Um, and I think, you know, it's it's really a shame um, that people are not looking at the pet sector more. I think there's a massive opportunity. I think if there was a pure play pet tech investor in this region, there is a lot of, there will be more pet tech entrepreneurs um, of course, if you're in U US or Europe, you have pure play pet tech accelerators like Unleashed by Purina, which is the Slay, and you have Leap by Mars Inc. Uh, pet Division. Um, of course, we don't fit the mandate for either of those. Um, so we're also pivoting a little bit. I'm moving to, uh, to Europe, and we're setting up uh, more of a base in Barcelona. We're keeping what we have in Asia, but... Uh, you know, maybe incorporating uh, in Andorra or somewhere in, in Europe and then um, looking at setting up potentially a Delaware company so we can better fit the mandate of these investors that are actually investing in, in pet technology companies. Because, you know, you go and talk to some of these guys to say, we, we don't invest in China. And I say, well, Singapore is where the HQ is. It's not China. Um, but, you know, it's... It's just how it is, right? So so I think Asia is going to happen. It's just going to take a little bit of time. So coming back to your question, yes, we're always raising money. Uh, if anyone wants to invest in pet tech and want to have a chat, you know, find me on LinkedIn. With your move to Europe, will you be looking to grow out the team? And actually, I would be really interested to know what your team structure looks like right now. Yeah, so look, I think I think the... The backbone will remain in Asia. So we have the engineering hub in Vietnam, um, in Da Nang of all places. And uh, which for those of you that don't know, it's a beautiful coastal city um, with the longest stretch of beach in Vietnam. Uh, clean water, great place to go and, and, and have a holiday. But for some bizarre reason, it's a really big tech hub, right? Uh, more concentrated than Ho Chi Minh City. Or Hanoi, for that matter. So it's a lot of offshore companies there. There's a lot of um, sort of 
back office companies for big tech companies across the whole region and the world. And so we decided to set up there because we could get um, manpower easily, right? And our head of engineering is Vietnamese. He is uh, from Hue, which is just a next door city, and he has a great network. He is also a, a lecturer at the local tech university. There's two major tech universities there. So they're they're getting a lot of new talent out. Uh, so we have the whole engineering team there, about 10 people. And that's everything from, you know, front and back end, firmware, middleware, um, essentially the whole shebang. Um, we have uh, also the COO and CTO straddling between uh, Ho Chi Minh City, Da Nang, and Singapore. I'm in Singapore. Uh, we'll continue to be here if I'm not in Spain, right? So I'll go back and forth. Um, and then uh, we have the uh, we have our CFO here as well. We have our head of marketing here in Singapore. Well, that's kind of what we have here. In Manila, we have two positions. We have the head designer and we have the social media manager. Uh, we have a junior designer as well, so we got three people there. Uh, the new person is based somewhere else who's going to come in and help with hardware. So, um, But the plan is to build sort of bis-step teams in the U.S. and in, in Europe and have more operational guys. But I think tech will remain in Asia. Makes sense. Manufacturing will remain in Asia. Uh, we've produced 7,000 monitors of Generation 1, uh, which we have about five partners that will swallow them uh, starting from April. So all is very new. Very exciting. Richard, we're coming up towards the end of our conversation together, but I wanted to go back actually to towards the start of our conversation and your experience in selling Lifestyle Asia. Uh, it's not often that, well, we always hope that we'll have successful outcomes as founders and uh, a successful exit is in many people's, uh, on many people's bucket list. You've had one of those. For people who are watching this, who are founders, who are considering perhaps uh, selling their company in time, what advice would you have from your experience? Yeah, it's a good question. Look, um, I think, you know, don't think about the exit too early. Um, focus on building. And there are always the natural companies that could acquire you, right? So that that tends to be the big boys in whatever sector you're in, right? Uh, there's nothing wrong to start flirting with those boys very early on. Flirting in the sense that you're dressing up the woman um, and making her look a little bit more attractive each time you talk to these guys. And you can meet them at seminars or summits or or ask them for the, 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 the casual coffee, not in the context that you're trying to, to sell them or, or, or get an investment, but that you want to stay friendly and and you know, say that you're open-minded and if there is ever a partnership that could be struck, you know, we're, we're very interested and, and, you know, we can learn from each other. You know, we have a new take on, on, on this particular sector and you guys have been around forever and your depth of knowledge and experience, maybe we can marry those two, right? Um, so, so I think, you know, with Berta, we, we were flirting with them for about six years before they bought us. Um, and towards the end, there was three companies bidding at us. I think don't overthink, don't think about the exit too early. It's not bad to have an idea of who it might be. But I would also say that you might be surprised that the one you thought would buy you, it's not that, it's quite the opposite. It's somebody that comes along and sees a value 
that you didn't think of and that would fit whatever they have planned to do in a way and therefore they acquire you, right? So, um, you know, that can also happen. Uh, I will also say that once you get into that conversation, uh, everything has a a time frame for when something is ripe for acquisition or not. And if you miss this window of opportunity, the window is open and you don't climb through, the window may, nev may never open again and the timing for you to exit might not be there. So on the one hand, I'm saying don't rush it, don't overthink it. On the other hand, I'm saying once it's open, you have to decide whether will that happen again or not. So, And that depends a little bit on the sector and what you're doing because certain things are very hot and then they go super cold and it's like, it's it's. I can tell you it would be very hard to sell my business today. Richard, thank you so much for taking the time out to chat to me. I, I really enjoyed our conversation and learning more about My Pet Go, your pivot uh, or your doubling down uh, on the health side of things for pets. Uh, very excited to see what happens with version 1.5 or version uh, 2 and your continued expansion into uh, markets like the US, Europe and your, your own move as well um, to, to Spain. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on and all the best with the future episodes.